0: Good evening. How is everybody? Good. That's right. It's Valentine's week. Everybody's happy. It's good to go, right? Um, Hopefully you had good times with your family and significant other. Uh, We are going to be looking tonight at Joshua 14, verses 6 through 15. Joshua 14, verses 6 through 15. And we're going to be looking at how to build a legacy of faithfulness. So before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight that we can gather together and hear your word. Pray that you would just prepare our hearts and that we would leave this place uh, changed by the power of your spirit. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. So we talk about this idea of building a legacy and how to build a life that is more than just a life, it's a legacy in spiritual terms. Um, One of the things I tend to think about is before I started working in uh, local church ministry, I spent 13 years with Campus Crusade for Christ working with students. And I mainly worked on campus, and as part of that, I worked with uh, a division within the campus called Valor. And with Valor, we worked with Army cadets and Air Force cadets and Navy midshipmen, to try to help them gather for Bible study and connect with each other and support each other as they entered the military. And one of our key partners with that was a ministry called OCF, which was Officers Christian Fellowship. And it had a long and storied history and uh, many great members throughout the years. But as I uh, got a chance to interact with some of those guys, it was pretty interesting. A lot of them are old retired colonels, so they had all the best stories. But one of the things they talked about was one of the presidents of OCF many years ago uh, who was Lieutenant General William Harrison. And uh, Harrison's story is shared in a book called uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. And in that he relates some of the things that made uh, General General Harrison uh, a special kind of guy. So in the Second World War, he uh, commanded the 30th Infantry Division, which, according to Eisenhower, was the most impressive infantry division in the whole line of battle in the European theater. Uh, He was highly decorated personally with medals for valor, uh, excluding the Congressional Medal of Honor. And he was also one of the few generals that was actually wounded in combat, closing with the enemy. Um, So he had a great storied career within the army and uh, was viewed as a soldier's soldier. But the thing that uh, he capstoned his career with is he led the peace delegation in Korea that negotiated the armistice that allowed us to get out of that conflict. And he was chosen specifically because he was known for character and for wisdom. And you may ask, well, this storied character had a great combat career. Why was he known for his character and his wisdom? Well, the thing about General Harrison is that as a young cadet, When he was getting started, he decided he was going to make one of the disciplines in his life, reading scripture and memorizing scripture. So as a young cadet, about 20 years old, he started a reading plan that was pretty ambitious. He committed to every year reading through the Old Testament and every year reading through the New Testament four times completely. So he did that. He did it. While he was in combat, he did it while he was in peacetime, and he did it at his various other assignments. So by the time he was age 90 and his eyesight finally failed and he couldn't read anymore, he had read the Old Testament 70 times completely through, and he had read the New Testament 280 times completely through. And he was known throughout the army for being a man of wisdom. In fact, some of the things he said were taken almost as proverb. Um, So you knew if you were talking to General Harrison, he knew what he was talking about. So he was able to leave a spiritual legacy because of the choices he made in his life, and he was able to impact a generation of army officers that came up to uh, study God's word well and be grounded spiritually as leaders. So we think about General Harrison, and in that mindset, we're going to look at Caleb here in Joshua 14. So I'm going to read for us starting at uh, verse 6 and read through verse 15. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to, Moses, or said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly follow the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these forty-five years, since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses." While Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then. For war and for going and for coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard that on that day how the Anakim were there. In great fortified cities and it may be that the Lord will be with me. And I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war." So let's look at this picture of the life of Caleb in just a few verses. And let's look first at a faithful past, the faithful past that was demonstrated by Caleb. And we see it in these first three verses here, 6 through 9. It mentions his name and his family. And what is happening here is we're in the midst of the conquering of the land. So the Israelites have come over. They've started taking places and now it's time for the allotments to go out to the different tribes. And Caleb shows up to Joshua with his guys from the tribe of Judah. And he says, here we are. This is the land that Moses said was mine. Let me take it. But first he starts talking to Joshua and he makes him remember their past. He says, all those years ago, we stood on a similar spot and God sent 12 of us over into the land And we saw the land that God had promised us, and all 12 of them come back with the same report. They talk about it's fruitful land. It has great produce and great yield. They talk about there's some big people there, and the big people have made big fortresses with big armies. And they look at this information in common, but the difference comes when they begin to analyze the information. Ten of the spies look at that information and they say, ain't no way, we're not crossing over, this is not going to go well, we should probably just stay here. But instead, Caleb and Joshua plead with the people and they say, God has told us we need to take this land. There's giants there and there's fruit that God promised and there's fortified cities, but you can imagine them saying to the people, don't you remember? Don't you remember what we've just been through? We've come out of slavery We've seen the Red Sea part. We've seen the greatest army in the area go down without us even having to fight. So what are giants to us? What are great fortifications to us? You see, 10 of the spies look at this, and they see it as a challenge that's insurmountable. But Joshua and Caleb look at it, and they look at it as an opportunity for God to show his glory because this is the land that they are to take and they have seen what God can do. So giants, fortified cities, doesn't matter. If God says it's ours, we can go take it. So this is a long time ago at this point. This is 45 years ago. And Caleb is saying, hey, Joshua, don't you remember everything that happened? And they're sort of having a soldier's moment, some nostalgia there, right? So... That was done because Caleb, at an early point in his life, once he began to interact with Yahweh and the God of Israel, he began to see God's power and how God interacted with his people and the promises he gave. And at that point, Caleb oriented himself towards the promises of God. And he rooted himself in God's word and God's character and said, this is who my God is. And if he tells me this is so, it's got to be so. And because he was able to make that choice and stand in that in his past, that's able to speak to his present and his future because he's already decided I'm with the God of Israel because he means what he says and he does what he means, right? So in the same way, we think about that in our own lives. We think about um, the young people I work with or young people in college, how important it is to begin to orient your life around something. Because The truth is, eventually you're going to orient your life around something anyway, right? It can either be good, it can be bad, it can be something useful, it can be something positive, it can be something negative. So when we're able to, at a very early age, or at a moment in time, nail it down that we're going to orient ourselves towards the things of God and what he says is true, that sets us on the right path in the right direction. So we think about it in terms of young people, but honestly, it's anybody, right? Because yesterday we can't change. Today we can. So at any point in your life, if you choose this is going to be my past now, and right now I'm going to orient myself to the things of God, that can change your entire trajectory forward, right? So we've looked at, This faithful past as it's embodied in the life of Caleb. Let's look at his faithful present. So his faithful present which comes to us in verse 10 through 12. So after Caleb gets done kind of stirring Joshua up and helping him remember hey you remember back in the day when we stood against the people? Dude they almost stoned us because we were telling them you got to go into the land and they're like they're going to get us all killed. But they experienced judgment. God told us we were going to experience blessing because we stood with him. So now, as old men, they come and they look at the land. And they come upon this place at Hebron. And there's a hill country and a city. And it's said to be inhabited by the people of Anak. And the Anak were a special people group. They were thought of as giants and possibly descendants of the Nephilim from Genesis 6. I would think in terms more of how we think of Goliath, sort of that, you know, maybe some of them were 7 to 10 feet tall, more or less. I mean, big, big guys, right? They were intimidating. They were descendants of a people group that was rather large. But it's interesting that when we think back to the original spies, this was the same people group that had told them not to go in they saw them and they saw their fortifications and they saw their size and their armies and they said, we can't defeat those guys. They're too big. So now in the present, 45 years later, we see we've got Caleb standing at a similar precipice right there on the border and he looks out in the hill country and there's Anak there and giants. And the rest of the people are afraid, but Caleb says, hey, 45 years ago, I said, let's do it. I'm 85 now, and I'm putting on my giant-killing boots, so it's time to go over. And he tells Joshua, give it to me now. This is the land that Moses promised me. My guys are ready, and I'm ready to go over. And it doesn't matter about giants, and it doesn't matter about fortified cities, and it doesn't matter about armies, because this is the allotment that's going to be given to Judah, and I'm going to take it. So his past had already oriented him towards the things of God. And now in the present, when he sees the same challenge 45 years later, he has the same response. And he says, let's go over and let's take it. So in the same way we think about our lives, once you've oriented your life towards the things of God and you've rooted yourself in who he is and his promises and his character of faithfulness and covenant keeping and all those things, it makes it easier in the present to continue to trust, right? So once you've already decided some things and you're like, okay, this is the direction we're going, now when new challenges come up or challenges from the past arise, it makes it a lot easier to deal with because you've already decided, I'm going to do the things of God, right? So if you've decided to live In Caleb's case, countercultural, because the rest of the people told him not to go in, and he said, no, I'm going to do it. Now, as he experiences challenges, he's able to make more solid decisions. So it's the same way with us. Once we root ourselves in who God is, we think about this idea of counterculture. You know, we live in a culture that is generally negative towards the things of God. But if we've already decided in our hearts we're going to be oriented towards the things of God, then when challenges to our faith come up, we can say, okay, well, I'm going to trust what God says. And you can do whatever you think you need to based off that. But as for me and my people, we're going to follow who God is. Because we believe he's right and you're wrong. And, you know, we're willing to talk about that if you want to. But, you know, we think about other other examples scripturally like Daniel. You know, we went over it uh, with the students not too long ago. And we talked about how at one point the king's advisors were jealous, so they created a law that they knew would only affect Daniel and said, okay, well, we'll make it so it's a death penalty thing if you pray to somebody other than the king. And when they do that, Daniel reads the law. He's aware of it. And he says, okay, well, I'm going to keep praying just like I did yesterday. And y'all can do whatever you think you should based off that, but I'm going to keep praying. See, it's that kind of strength that comes to us when we make decisions that we are oriented towards the things of God and we're going to trust him to follow through on what he said. So if you make a hard decision in the past, it makes it easier to make hard decisions in the future. So we have a faithful present here because Caleb had decided the giants weren't going to stop him and the fortifications weren't going to stop him. He was going to take the land that God had promised him. So Caleb says, send me over. We're ready to go. So we think about this faithful past of Caleb and we think about this faithful present of Caleb and now we can think about his faithful legacy to the people. Because when we look at the rest of this passage here in 13 through 15, Joshua knows where Caleb's heart is, and Joshua knows this land needs to be taken, and he knows Caleb can do it because Caleb is trusting in who God is, not in who he is, right? So Joshua blesses him, and Caleb takes his guys over, and they take the land. They go, they kill all the Anakim, they destroy their fortified cities, and they take the land. And in fact, there's a clue here at the end when it talks about uh, Kiriath Arba because it's like this place used to be named for the biggest guy among the giants and now it's going to be named something else because giants are gone. But there's more of a legacy that's left. Right at the very end, it gives us a clue and it says, and the land had rest from war. You see, we think about historically when the Israelites were going to take this land, one of the things we knew about it was that it was um, inhabited by pagan tribes. There was a lot of evil that took place in this land. And part of the reconquest under God's leadership and his promises to them was pacifying the land. It was bringing it back to a restorative place where it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a beacon to the rest of humanity that showed Here is where the God of Israel lives, and here's what it means to follow him. It was supposed to draw people into who God was. So Caleb, by his faithfulness in the past and his faithfulness in the present and his leadership of his men, is able to bring about peace in the land. And he leaves this legacy for Judah and his legacy for his people. So we look at this and we look at Caleb's life and we think about what a faithful past looks like and what a faithful present looks like and what a faithful legacy looks like. And you may be thinking, well, that's great. This is an Old Testament story. Caleb, yeah, everybody likes giant killing. This is great. But is there something else going on here? Because the story, while short actually has a little more symbolism to it than just what Caleb does by defeating the giants and taking the land for Judah. Because we think about it in comparison to the beginning of the story. This is a small picture of how it was supposed to be. See, when God called his people out of Egypt and he brought them to the edge of the land, it was supposed to work exactly like this. They were supposed to go look at it and say... Land's great, there's some giants there, but we've got God. And God says it's ours, so we're going to take it. So they were intended to go to the edge of that land, see how good it was, and then take it. And then the land was supposed to have rest from war. But because of their own rebellion and their sin, they had to spend time in the wilderness to relearn who God was. And that whole generation had to pass away, except for those that had been faithful And now a new generation gets to experience the legacy that God has left them in these allotments. So there's more going on here than just Caleb. It certainly is the story of Caleb, but it is more than that. And we think about this in terms of a spiritual legacy personally, right? And we think about as families, as uh, parents and friends and grandparents and... um, family members and those kind of things, when we think about this legacy of faith, the decisions we make affect the people that come after us. The way we stand for God's truth and the way we orient our lives around who God is is a beacon that can act for the next generation. Because sometimes part of the problem is when we experience persecution, it's that the current generation has not stewarded well the fact that they know God. And they're able to tell people who he is and bear witness to who he is. Kind of stinging, right? Yeah, That's right here. Because, you know, I've got a little girl and I'm soon going to have another one. So I've got kids to think about as a parent and as the spiritual legacy that goes on. And I think about it in my own family. I think about the spiritual legacy left behind even by simple things. I had a... Uh, great-grandmother that I was privileged to know named Granny Laurie Uh, and I used to say she was born last century but we're in the second century. So she was born in 1898 and she died in her mid-90s and she got to see successive generations of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and have a meaningful impact on their life. She was a farmer. She was uh, somebody who was very involved in church, and she was a prayer. And uh, as she prayed, something I didn't know until much later later, one of her legacies that she wanted to leave behind is that she prayed consistently to the Lord that one of her children would become a minister. And as we look back in the generations, none of her children became ministers, and none of her grandchildren became ministers. But I, as her great-grandson and my cousin, became ministers. So there's a fruit that came along, even though she didn't know how long it would take. But it's things like that. It's things we remember. It's family members that have trusted the Lord, that have prayed for us, that speak spiritual words, that bear witness by the fact they come here. And they study God's word, and they pray, and they witness to people around them. So we think about this faithful past and faithful present and faithful legacy. And as believers, as we close, I wanted to talk about, you know, as believers, it's never too late to get started. So we talked about Caleb made all these decisions when he was a young man. You can make a decision today. Because, again, you can't change yesterday, but you can change today. And you can change tomorrow a little bit. So it's about as believers making a decision that when decisions are made, I'm going to firmly root myself in who God is and what he says. So as we begin to close, I want you to think about that as believers. But it's possible there's somebody here tonight that's an unbeliever, that's never heard these kind of promises or heard about this God that I'm talking about. And I'd encourage you Simply making a moral decision that you're going to follow what Scripture says is not good enough. It's got to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's something you can do where you're sitting. That's something that you can come talk to one of us about. Those are the conversations that we as pastors love. That is why we got into this, so that we could see people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior.